great to see everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. We'll, we'll get going here. I know um, you guys are excited to see me again tonight, huh? Preacher's, <laughs> preacher's out of town. You guys pray for him. I keep telling everybody, or, or you know, I don't know if you come on Friday nights. Uh, some of you do, and some of you have been, and uh, it's really my goal to come in here one night and preach in here like I do on Fridays. The only problem is I, I may need to have another job lined up before I do that. Um, <laughs> but tonight may be similar to it, uh, close to it. The topic is kind of a, kind of a Friday night topic. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I preached a sermon similar to this down there. And for some reason, I was just <clears throat> kind of led back to it. Um, I heard a story about uh, this little boy. He was really bad to lie. I mean, he just, he just couldn't tell the truth. And his parents had tried everything with him, man. They had, they had grounded him and put him in timeout and, you know, all of the things. And then they really did what, you know, what happened when you were a kid. When I was a kid, they spanked him. I mean, they tried everything with this guy. And he, he just, man, he just could not tell the truth. So they finally decided they were going to take him down to the church to the preacher and let the preacher talk to him. So they take him down there and preacher knew what was going on, what the situation was. He just says, look, I just want to talk to him by myself. Just bring him right into the sanctuary. Bring him to the auditorium. I'm going to sit him down. We're going to we'll have a conversation. He said, I'll try a little reverse psychology on him. So he brings a little boy in there and sets him down. And he says, uh, son, i got a story to tell you. He said, last Sunday, we're sitting in church. He said, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, the back door's busted open. He said, and in comes a big grizzly bear. Biggest bear I've ever seen in my life. And this grizzly bear just started picking up people and eating them like sandwiches. One bite. Just eating people. He said, and he ate old lady sitting on the back row. Moved up. Ate, ate a man sitting in the middle about where you're sitting. And moved up to the front row. Ate somebody on the front row. He said, I thought that bear was coming after me. And he said, about that time, you wouldn't believe it, but a little chihuahua dog came in the back door and ate the bear. He said, can you believe that? He said, yes, sir, preacher, I can believe that. He said, that's my dog. <laughs> so sometimes a first liar just ain't got a chance, you know. So I, that has nothing to do with the sermon. It just helps me to get going to tell a funny story before we start. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Put that, that slide up, the very first slide. Principles of Facing Giants. We're obviously in 1 Samuel 17. There's no sneaking up on this story. We've all heard it. It's the story about David and Goliath. And every time some small sports team is playing a big sports team, you hear the comparison of David and Goliath. And you probably know the story, but I want to make some application about this story tonight and about our lives and how it can mean something to us. I mean, obviously, we're not fixing to go out and fight a, a giant that's, that's over nine foot tall in a physical altercation. But without question, we all face giants in our lives. Now, I face a really big giant once in my life, and I, I don't talk about it a lot because, you know, at this point, I really don't want to be defined by this, but I don't see any way to get around it tonight. So I'm just going to unload a little bit of the truck for you. Those of you who've never heard this story or don't know my testimony, you might want to put your seatbelt on. Uh, for those of you that do know it, then it won't be a big surprise to you. In uh, 2006, I stood in a federal courtroom in Huntsville, and I was charged with trafficking methamphetamines. 
And not only was I charged with it, but I was guilty, and I'd already pled guilty. And I, I'm really thinking that there's a chance, because I just didn't know a whole lot about the system. Um, I, I knew other people that had been in trouble for similar things, and, and they had gotten probation, and uh, I don't know if you know much about this, or color code, or some kind of, you know, just seemed like that everybody uh, on a first offense uh, got a second chance. Um, I'd had two speeding tickets my whole life at this point. Never been in trouble in my life. Grew up in a really conservative Christian home. Great mom and dad. My brother's a preacher. Uh, you know, uh, it's a crazy story. But here I stand in, in, in the courtroom facing this judge. And he sentences me to 84 months in a federal institution. I looked at my judge. I said, did he just give me seven years in prison? He said, yes, he did. You need to be quiet. I said, wow. And that's without a doubt, the, I mean, I don't even have to think about it, that's the biggest jot that I've ever faced in my entire life. I'm, uh, he gave me 60 days to get my, my affairs in order before I had to go and self-surrender. And I remember when the morning came, or actually the day before is when it really, before I was leaving to go, um, I, I, I remember the, the cookouts and the goodbyes and having to stand in the driveway at my parents' house <clears throat> and tell my three kids bye. I remember staying up all night that night before and writing letters to each one of them. I mean, obviously, you're just not going to sleep the night before you go to prison. And uh, so this was quite, a, 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 quite an epic moment in my life. Uh, my brother, the next morning, he and I, and a, and a, a cousin that I'm really close to, uh, they got in the car and took me to Talladega and dropped me off at the federal prison there. Um, I've wondered about that since then. Who, who turns themselves in? I probably should have made them come find me, but it would have just, it would have just gotten worse. Um, but that was a tremendous giant that I had to face in my life, a, a very difficult thing. And I thought about this story here. And a lot of times I would think about uh, David and, and the things that he faced with Goliath. And, you know, although that's a big giant in my life, I know without question Every single person in here, everybody in this congregation tonight faces giants. Now, that was my giant, and I'm not done facing them. I face them still. Hopefully, I won't ever have to face another one that big, but there'll be other giants. There's people in here. You know what? I think about yesterday. Yesterday, dust is going to be mags. We forgot to put these chairs back right here because we had a... a uh, Not sure what's going on. We obviously have a medical emergency of some sort over here. So. Why don't we just have a word of prayer real quick while they're tending to this person. Lord, we thank you for your blessings and your goodness. And we thank you for the opportunity to meet together. Uh, obviously, we're unsure what the situation is here, Lord, but I pray that you would intervene here and work in this situation, give those caregivers wisdom uh, as they tend to this person. And, then, Lord, I pray that you just uh, work in this situation. And, and I pray.
pray that you'd just be with this service. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think they got that, right? So, we were talking about giants, things that we face, difficulties that we, we deal with. Yesterday, there was a, uh, a funeral here at the church. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Brother and Mrs. Arrington. And uh, Brother Arrington, man, he was the guy that stood at that back door back there and always had candy. Really great guy. And as I sat back there, I began to think about Brother Arrington graduated with my dad. And so then it really started to hit home to me, really started to put it in perspective, you know, the, the, the seriousness of it, because now I'm relating that to my dad. But you know what? Miss Carol, and, and I'm not sure she's here. I almost hope she's not, because this might be a little soon. But Miss um, Carol this morning had to wake up and face a giant. Very difficult thing. She had to wake up this morning and face the, the difficulty of life in a whole new way, different than she's ever faced it before. You know, some of you are facing some illnesses in your life in here, perhaps. Maybe some type of, uh, of, of serious sickness that, that you're having to deal with or that you're having to face. Or maybe you're waiting on some test results. And man, th- that's got to be brutal. So there's some tremendous giants that you could possibly be facing in your life. Maybe some family issues, some family problems that you're dealing with. Maybe, maybe you know what, in a gr- group this size, this many people, there's probably a chance that in a group this big, Somebody sitting in here, their marriage is falling apart. It's dissolving. And it may have reached a point where there's no fixing it. There's no putting it back together. It, you know, and that's unfortunate. And I think there's always the opportunity to fix it and put it back together. But maybe yours won't. And so you're, you're facing a really huge giant in your life. Maybe it's a financial situation. You're on the brink of bankruptcy. or uh, m- Maybe, I don't know what it is. But you're facing some difficulties in your life. And here's the thing. If you're not, if everything is just great right now in your life, everything is just hunky-dory, you will face some. You'll face some difficulties and some giants and some problems and some issues in your life. And, and the thing about it is you never see them coming. You're never ready for them. I want to take a look at some principles in this story, some things that took place in this story and see how maybe we can apply those to our life. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 15, it says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look now, thy brethren's, and look how thy brethren's fare take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put in put the battle in array against the army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and he ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with him, behold, there came upon the champion, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, unto the armies of the Philistine, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, 
Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who kill, killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Let's pray again. Lord, I pray that you'd just be with this service, be with this lesson. I pray that it would be an encouragement and a help to someone in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at some principles of facing a giant. The first thing that I notice, the first thing that stands out to me, is verse 15. It says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Now, a shepherd at this particular time was the absolute bottom of the rung. Very bottom of the, the pecking order, I guess. There wasn't a, a worse job that you could have. There wasn't a, a lowlier position at this particular time that you could have other than a shepherd. Now, David, here's David. David has seven older brothers. He is the youngest of eight brothers. Can you just imagine how difficult that must have been? Um, I had one older brother. And I'm still scarred. I may never emotionally get over it because he was very abusive, and I'm bitter about it. I can't imagine having six more of him. And David was the youngest. He was the baby. So he, can you imagine uh, the hand-me-downs after they'd come through seven brothers? I mean, that had to be rough, right? So he's a shepherd. He's the youngest of seven. And what stands out to me in this this right here, is the principle of the start is at the bottom. You know, it's amazing to me in our society, we have the assertive mentality shoved down our throats so much. We have the mentality that we have certain things coming to us and we are owed certain things. We live in a society today that people feel like everybody owes them something. And it's amazing when you contrast that to my father's generation and his father's generation and the way that those people worked and the way that they invested and the way that they... And when I say invest, I mean sweat investment. Last week I talked about my dad growing up on that cotton farm. And, you know, kids and young people in the generation before me, they just grew up different. They didn't have the arrogance that, that young people seem to have today. But in this story, the thing that really stands out to me in the beginning is how that David started at the bottom. You know what's about the bottom? The thing about starting at the bottom, in James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> I'm a, a, a big proponent and, 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 and believe in humility. If you gave me a badge for humility, I, I'd probably wear it. Um, I wrote a book, 10 Most Humble Men in America, and how I taught the other nine. Um, you guys are going to have to lighten up. You're going to have to get with me here. I'm struggling. <laughs> the thing about humility is that we are hardwired in our society to want to exalt ourselves. See it in sports figures a lot. See it in famous people. And, and it's just kind of the what, what we do because we see society do it. But the Bible tells us right there that if we'll humble ourselves, that God will exalt us. Now, it's funny how that this giant that I talked about facing personally, 
at the beginning of the lesson. Um, you'd have to understand, and, and I get accused a lot of times of being arrogant, and I probably am. I don't mean to be, but I, I'm a guy, and you know, and I, it's just sometimes it goes with the territory. I don't I, really; it's a cover because I'm really insecure. But we'll talk about that in a counseling session with just you. Um, but here I am, and for for years leading up to this, uh, I've been in the car business. Um, Got promoted really young in the car business. Uh, in my early 20s, I'm a manager, finance manager. Uh, move up the ladder. Uh, at, at like 33 years old, I'm the, the new car director at a top 20 Nissan store in the country in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, make really big money. Um, so you can just imagine what an arrogant jerk I was then. And so when I go to prison... I got to tell you, they really didn't care what I did before I came there. And uh, you're at the very bottom when you're a new guy. You get the worst jobs. You have to do the worst things. Uh, you, you, you get the worst sales, the worst bunk, and the worst sell because you're a new guy. And so the very first thing that I learned or that I had to wrap my mind around when I went to prison was that I was at the bottom. I was the new guy. Now, here's the thing about going to work at a place, and you're the new guy. Well, if you go to work somewhere, and you really hate it the first day, and the second day, you hate it even worse, and the third day is worse than the first two days combined, and you just think to yourself, man, this is not going to work out. This is just not for me. You can go in and say, hey, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I don't want you to waste any more time and energy training me. I think I'm just going to go ahead and resign now. This is not for me. They wouldn't let me do that in prison. Um, they intended for me to stay there the entire time, and resigning and going home was just not an option. So I had figured out. And I had this buddy that I made friends with, a guy from here. And I noticed how he seemed to seamlessly maneuver through everything. He didn't really have any problems. Got along with a lot, everybody. Just a great guy. And I got to watching him, and I asked him one day, I said, man, how do you manage to never have a confrontation with anybody? Never seem to have any problems. You always seem to be on the upside of everything. You always seem to be, you know, happy and in a good mood and doing well, even though in the bad situation that we're in. And he said, I go humble early. I said, what? He said, anytime I feel some kind of confrontation, he said, I just go humble quick, and it's over with in a hurry, and I can move on. And I said, hmm, you mean kind of like a soft answer turneth away wrath. That's what I thought in my mind. And it's amazing how that, that I began to read Proverbs and began to read uh, all of those verses in the book of Proverbs that talk about humility and humbling yourself. And when you realize that you are at the bottom, and you realize that that's where the start in this thing is, and you're willing to accept the position that you have there at the bottom, and be okay with it, then God will start to exalt you. God will start to move you. And when he does that, it's a whole lot better than what I can do. Because I've exalted myself and failed miserably at it. But when I humbled myself and allowed God to do it, it exceeded my wildest 
imagination of what God could do. The Bible says that he is able to do above, uh, to, uh, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we think. But when we try to take it on ourselves, we're going to mess it up. You can just count on that. Well, the second principle that I look at as we read this story, we look at verse 20, it says, And David rose up early in the morning, and he left the sheep with the keeper, and he took and he went, and his Jesse had commanded him. I look at that verse right there, and I see that there's a process that leads to victory. You notice how that David got up? He was a shepherd. He had sheep that he was responsible for, and he took care of those sheep, and he did the things that his dad told him to do, and he went through the steps and the process, and he took care of the things that he was supposed to take care of. You know what? Not only, not only do we want to start at the top, but we don't even want to go through the process it takes to get to where we want to be. We just want to be there right away. We just want to be anointed with some great position, and, and that be the way it is. I mean, I say we, maybe I should just say me, because that's kind of how I want it. But that's not reality. There's a process that you have to go through. There's some things that you have to do. There's some things that you have to learn along the way. You know what I had to learn really quick? One day I'm sitting in my cell, and a guy walks by, and he sees me sitting in there, he was an older guy, been there a long time. He stops, and I heard him come back. And I've been there about three or four days, and I'm sitting in a chair. I mean, just like this. I'm in prison. I've got to be here for 84 months. What am I going to do? This is crazy. Guy walks back to my cell. He says, hey, what's your name? I said, Jeff. He said, all right, come on. Come with me. Well, I mean, he's an old guy. He's been here a long time. I just do what I was told. Okay, yes, sir. So I get up, and I follow him. We walk outside, and he walks down the sidewalk. Walks me to this building, opens up the door, says, come on in. I walk in the building. I've already been in here. He said, this is the library. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I've, I've been in here. He said, okay, well, what do you like to read? I said, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm never been much of a reader. I, I worked a lot, real busy, didn't read a lot. He said, okay, well, you're fixing to start. What do you like? I said, I, I don't know. He said, you ever seen those John Grisham movies? I said, yeah. He said, did you like them? I said, yeah, what I've seen, I like them, I guess. He said, okay, come on. He walks me over and finds the G's. He said, here are all the John Grisham books. He reaches up, pulls one out, and he said, I've read that one. Read that book. Go back to your cube, sit down, and start reading that book. Yes, sir. I walk back to my cell, and I sit down, I open up the book. I read the first page. About two hours later, I'm a third of the way through the book, reading as hard as I can read, as fast as I can go. I read probably 600 books in the next... Five years, five and a half years. And what it became is a routine. You know, there's a certain way that you have to do things. If you sit in your cell for five and a half years, which is what you, I ended up doing with the good time and all that, I, I would have gone crazy. I'd have lost my mind. But eventually what I figured out I had to do is I have to get up in the morning and I have to go brush my teeth and come back and I can get my oatmeal fixed and run and get in and get back in my cell before they mop. Well, as soon as they get done mopping and the floor is dry, I'll have my oatmeal finished. I will have listened to a little bit of, I probably shouldn't tell you all of this. You're going to think this is all, that a prison was a vacation and it wasn't. But after we get done, uh, after I get done eating my oatmeal and listening to a little bit of the round table, then I get ready and I go up on the rec yard and I work out. 
Well, I get done working out, I come back down, I take a shower, I get ready for lunch. I go eat lunch, I come back, lay down, take a nap for a few minutes, get back up, go back up on the rec yard, walk the track, maybe work out a little bit more, play some basketball, do something. What I had was a routine every day that I went through. And I did the exact same thing every single day. At night, I'd come in, I'd usually have a book going, I'd read a book for a while, drink some coffee, eat some little Debbie cakes, and go to bed, get up the next morning, do it again. But once I got myself in this routine and in this process, there were things that I worked on. Well, I began to get really serious about studying my Bible. And I began to to study my Bible, read my Bible. I began to get systematic about the things that I was reading and studying in my Bible. All of this was a process that I was going through. You cannot just wake up one day and be on top. It's impossible for you to just wake up one day and decide, I think I'm going to be the CEO of this company. I've graduated from college. I got my MBA. I I want to apply for the CEO job. That's just not how it works. You go to work somewhere, you might start off at the very lowest position in the whole place. But when you go to work there and you work through the process, do you see that picture right there? That picture is a picture of a gym. You know what they do in there? They work. Here's the problem with so many people today is they want to sit up on the porch and pray for their crops. All right? Now, here's some life recovery for you. This is what you get on Friday night if you come on Friday night. You don't pray for your crops sitting up on the porch, ladies and gentlemen. You go down into the garden or the field where the crops are growing, and you get a hoe, and you begin to hoe the weeds out of that garden. And that's where you pray for your crops. You pray for your crops while you're doing your part. But so many of us today, because of the society that has become so uh, uh, sensitive and become so, so politically correct, we don't want to offend anybody, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and far be it that we tell somebody to get a job or to go to work. But you see, there is a process that you go through that leads to victory. You know the greatest verse that everybody always wants to quote when you have a difficult time, when you go through a hard time? I call it the punch them in the face verse, and that's Romans 8, 28. Because usually when somebody quotes that verse to me, I'm just going to tell you the truth, I really want to punch them in the face. Because something's going bad for me, and they're quoting that verse to me, all things work together for good to them that love. Oh, wait a minute, that was bad timing, okay? I'm, I'm not ready to hear that yet. But the part that so many people fail to pay attention to in that verse is it says that all things work together. There's a process that has to be followed through before you can see that victory in your life. It's not always magic. It's not touchdowns and cheerleaders. You can't sprinkle some wuffle dust on your problems and then go away. There's a process that leads to victory. And sometimes we want to bypass that somehow. We want to dodge that. We want to duck that. And that's impossible. You can't do it. You can't get there from here if you don't go through the trouble. If you don't go through the hard times, if you don't go through the struggles. You see, here's the thing about David in this story. Is that David started at the bottom as a shepherd. Now, remember if you read what David faced. The Bible tells us that he killed a lion. He killed a bear. 
while he's protecting these sheep. David had been in some scrapes. He'd been in a few battles. And so when it was time to face that giant, I'm sure he was nervous. But you know, he'd been in a scrape or two. He had, fought, he had followed through the process. Here's some principles and why it's so important, these two things. First of all, it's because the journey is where the education comes from. Do you understand that? It's the journey along the way that you get your education. David learned to fight, garden some sheep. David learned to to defend these sheep and use that sling that he used against Goliath as he's going through his journey. You know, I, I never thought that I would be a missions and outreach pastor and a life recovery director. And I don't recommend that you go through what I went through to get to where I'm at. It's a bad idea, okay? But because of what I went through, because of the process that I followed through, that journey gave me an education that I could have never gotten anywhere else. So now when somebody sits in my office that has an addiction problem and they begin to tell me things, I can say, hold it, wait a minute. Now, I know that's not true. (laughs) You're not telling me the straight on that. Here's what really happened, right? And if they don't know my story or they don't know my background, they're they're kind of taken back by it. And then I'll go ahead and tell them, let me, all right, better scenario is on Sunday morning when I'm preaching to the work release guys. And I tell them that I've been in prison and I mock them because the only thing they've ever done is a little bit of county jail time. That's a, that's a convict thing. And so immediately I have what's called street cred with a bunch of guys in county jail because I've been to federal prison. That's part of the journey. And if I hadn't been through what I've been through and I haven't, hadn't have struggled through what I struggled through, it's that journey where I got my education. I don't recommend it. I'm a, I'm, it's a bad idea. I'm just telling you. But you're going through a journey right now. And the thing about it is, the education that you're getting in your journey, if you bypass it, you won't have it. If you could somehow you know, wave a magic wand over the, the difficult situation that you're going through right now and get around it and bypass it, and <clears throat> you wouldn't be able to help somebody else with that same problem someday. You know what? Two of the most powerful words in the English language are me too. Me too. You know, there's some of you ladies in here this evening who can talk with Miss Carol about her situation, and you can say, Me too. And you thought when you were going through the difficulty of losing your husband that it would never be okay, you'd never get through it, life would never get back, and somehow you've managed to piece it back together and struggle through it, and the journey that you've come through has been very difficult, but you've received an education coming through that, and now you have the opportunity, if, if it comes up, if you get the chance, to sit down with another lady and say, me too. That's what part of this is about. Because you see, when you have a church this big, you can look around and trust me, Whatever problem you've been through, there's somebody else in here who's going through it. There's somebody else in here who's struggling through what you may have already come through. Well, a victory that you've already had in your life, that you've already managed to come through and get some education from that journey, somebody else is struggling with it. And you could be a blessing and a help to them. Well, the next thing 
Psalm 40, verse 2, it says, He brought me up out of a horrible pit, and out of a miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my going. You know what? Without the bottom, you won't be able to remember where you came from. If you just get everything handed to you on a silver platter, you don't have that same appreciation for it if you started at the bottom and worked your way all the way up through it. Let me ask you this. Think about this. How many of you have ever worked in a company that was maybe family-owned and you worked for a second-generation owner? Anybody like that? I have. And it's never the same for the son as it was for the dad. There's a lady in here right now laughing. I worked with her in a family business, and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just not the same. Do you know why? Because that kid didn't work the way that dad did. He scrounged and saved and watched, pinched every penny to try to put this business together and make it successful and make a living for his family and build something that he could leave to his son. And his son walks in there one day when dad decides to retire and he's the boss now and he's never done anything. It's just not the same. But when you start at the bottom and you get that education coming up through there, you can remember where you came from. That's why sometimes at some of the jobs that we've worked at, when a college-educated guy, and I'm not against college education, but when some guy comes in and they hire him straight out of college and give him a position and he hasn't been through what you've been through, he can't understand what you understand. I have a cousin who started off as an enlisted guy in the Navy. He worked his way all the way up through, and then they, uh, uh, they discharged him and then commissioned him as an officer at the same time. Big deal. Kind of, kind of, a, kind of a big thing that he did. I don't know a lot about it, but, but you're shaking your head, so it must have been a big deal. And so he laughs now and says, there's nothing they can tell me. He said, those enlisted guys can't tell me anything because I've already done everything that they did. They can't make fun of me about being an officer. I didn't go to Annapolis. I, was, I enlisted. You see, when you come through the struggle, when you come through the difficult time, you can remember what it was like at the bottom. And you know what all that does? The last thing that that does, you'll see your gratitude multiplied. When you've come through really difficult times, really hard times, and you've worked your way through it, and you've seen how that the Lord brought you through that, your gratitude will be so much greater and so much higher. You'll be so much more thankful for what you have and what God has done for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul has just given a description prior to this about all of these terrible things that had happened to him. Beatings with rods, whippings with a whip. He was shipwrecked three times. He was stoned once with big rocks. And, and then he tells a story or he shares about a physical ailment that he's asked God to remove from him, a, a thorn in the flesh. And 
He said, three times I asked God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And he said, no. He said, but my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul says, after coming through all of that, I look back on it now and I'm grateful because I see how that God gets the glory for that. I see how that the grace of God helped me to be able to get through those difficult times. And when you can look back on that and you can think about how that you, you started at the bottom and you can think about how that you went through this process to get where you've gotten. Your gratitude's going to go through the roof. You're going to be able to look back and say, man, God's been good to me. He's helped me through some really difficult times, through some really hard times. But we're talking about some principles about facing giants. Verse 26 in chapter 17, it says, And David spake unto the men and stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? So here's, here's Goliath. Back to the story. Goliath's standing down in the valley, and if it were in today's terminology, he's talking a whole lot of junk about the Israelites. He's talking crazy to them. He's telling them, you send the best guy you got down here. I don't care who he is. I'll whip him. I'm Goliath. Nobody can whip me. And when I whip him, you guys are going to all have to be our slaves. So send the baddest guy you got down here. And he said, and take the, so what shall be done to this man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? He said, I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You know the third thing? third principle in facing giants is don't be influenced by the critics don't don't let them get to you here's his older brother and you know what's wrong with his older brother here's the problem and this is the problem with most critics most people who criticize you when you're struggling through a difficult situation when you're struggling through and you're trying to give God the glory and the honor and be faithful to him and be faithful to church, be faithful to your ministry, be faithful to the things that God has given you and somebody begins to criticize you. And I, this here, I'm talking about Christian people. This is brother. This is a guy that's really involved in the fight. He's in the battle. He's there. And he begins to criticize David. Do you know why he criticized him? It's very simple. Because he was ashamed of himself. He was ashamed of himself because he knew that he should have trusted God and he should have been willing to walk down in that valley and face Goliath. And because he wasn't willing to do it and David was inquiring about the situation and what would happen, he knew what was coming. So he began to criticize David because David was trying to do the right thing. Don't be influenced by the critics. Proverbs 13.10 says, "Only Only by pride cometh contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. You know why people get mad at you? Because you hurt their pride. And when you try to do the right thing, and they see you doing the right thing, it reminds them of what they're doing and how they're not doing the right thing. So because they don't want to do that, because they don't want to face their giants, they don't want to deal with their problems, they don't want to work through the difficulties that they face, they criticize you for doing it. So don't be, don't be affected. Don't be influenced by the critics. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of believers. 
in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You know, when these people criticize you, and they want to, to, to tear down what you're trying to do and what you're trying to, to establish in your relationship with the Lord, just continue to be an example. Don't buy into their criticism. Don't feed into it. Don't respond to it. Don't retaliate to it. Romans chapter 12 tells us very plainly that when somebody is critical of you, don't retaliate with the same thing. Return their evil with good. But you're going to have criticism. You're going to have critics. And the, the, the painful thing, the hurtful thing is, somebody sitting over in this section is going to be criticized by somebody over in this section. Because that's what we do. And, and it's, it's frustrating that we'll be in churches. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm just going to go ahead and make somebody really mad. And I'm sorry. And if I get fired... Somebody will give me a job out there, I hope. Here's what happens. It's never a new Christian. You know what? It's never a person that's gotten saved here at Temple Baptist Church and they've gotten involved in the ministry. It's usually somebody like me that's been in church all their life. And they, they think they know everything about church. And everything that happens different than what they think it ought to be, they criticize it. You know, you never hear that kind of stuff out of new Christians. They're excited. They're fired up. You think back, you think back to the lady that, that anointed Jesus with a really expensive oil and perfumes and whatever that stuff was. It's really high dollar stuff, really expensive stuff. You remember what the good Christians did? What the disciples said? They said, man, we could have took that stuff right there and sold it and Bought a bunch of stuff for the poor. We could have fed the poor. Hey, let me let you know this little secret. That probably wasn't what they were going to do. Because it was Judas, and Judas was stealing the money while they were collecting it, so he wasn't really concerned about the poor. But boy, he was sure critical of that lady who was doing her best, wasn't he? You remember what Jesus said? He said, you don't know what she's been through. He said, you don't have any idea where she's come from. He said, you leave her alone. Hey, let me tell you something. Everybody that comes here, they're not like you. That's a difficult thing for me to sometimes wrap my mind around. Because I, I want everybody to kind of be like me. <laughs> Isn't that funny how we want that? Um, I take a lot of ribbon from the, the staff because, really, I, I, I like to wear suits on Sunday. It's funny how styles change and things change, and now it's become uncool to wear a suit to church. Well, I wear a suit to church because I like them, not because I think everybody ought to have to wear a suit to church on Sunday. I don't care what you wear to church on Sunday. It doesn't matter to me. But it's funny how that anything that's different, and I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about me because it's easy for me to make me the target. These guys are just kidding with me. But it's funny how that anything that's different than you, you want to criticize it. It's hard for me sometimes to realize that things that are different for me are not necessarily wrong. Because, honestly, I feel like I got it all figured out. <laughs> and again, I use me because it's easier for me to criticize. It's easier for me to be hard on myself. But I think some of you can probably relate to that. But the hurtful thing is, there's somebody on the other end of that criticism that's like that lady that anointed Jesus. And they may not worship like you worship, they may not 
dress like you dress. They may not look like you look. <laughs> really, they may not smell like you smell. But they're probably doing the best they can. They're probably worshiping the best way that they know how. So when we criticize those people, just remember, somebody's probably criticizing you too. But regardless of where you're at in this process, regardless of what you're trying to work through, what you're dealing with, when you're facing giants and struggles and problems in your life, and maybe, you know what, here's the other thing about it. I hear a lot of this from people. Well, they did it to themselves. Yep. Nobody was responsible for me going to prison other than myself. It was 100% my fault. But let me tell you something. If we laid your thumb out here on this railing and took a hammer and gave it to you and you smashed your thumb with that hammer, can I, give you, can I tell you something? It's going to hurt. And I'm going to stand back and go, well, you did it to yourself. Right? But that's what we do. People will fall and they'll stumble and they'll make mistakes and they'll mess things up in their lives and we stand back and go, well, they did it to themselves. Well, sure they did, but self-inflicted wounds hurt. They're painful. Sometimes they're more painful because you have to deal with the humiliation of, I did this to myself. And you know, when you find yourself in those situations and you know that, that you've caused yourself You've created this giant that you're having to face. Just be prepared. People are going to criticize you. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't undo it. You can't change it. You can't make people not people. So all you can do is don't be influenced by it. Just try to work through the process. Try to be educated along the way by what you're going through. Realize you've got to start back over sometimes at the bottom while you're facing these giants. Well, the next thing... is don't take advice from the unwilling. You know, he goes to Saul, and Saul begins to tell him, Hey, David, I don't think... He said, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight. Saul tells David, he said, Man, I just don't think you can do this. You might want to rethink this, David. He said, You're just a kid. He said, You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was a youth. And you're going to try to fight this guy that's nine foot tall. David, are you crazy? Now, here is a guy who's not even in the fight. He's the king. He's not even down there where they're fighting. He's sitting in the safety of the palace. And he's trying to give advice to a guy who's willing to go fight. Now, let's make some application here. The, the point we made previous about don't listen to the critics, that generally comes from those who are Christians. These are people who are not in the fight. They're not in the battle. They don't know anything about it. And when you take advice and you are influenced and you're told what to do by somebody that has no idea what you're doing, you're just asking for trouble. You see... Saul didn't understand the fight because he hadn't even been down there to see it. He didn't know anything about it. See, 2 Corinthians chapter nine or chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man... 
save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, in order for you to understand spiritual things, you've got to have the Holy Spirit living in you. For you to have any idea about uh, scriptural things, biblical things, you've got to have the Holy Spirit indwelled in you. And if you don't, you won't have a clue. And when you start to take advice from the lost world, when you take advice from Dr. Phil, then you're going to have a problem. Because Dr. Phil don't have the foggiest idea about spiritual things. When you read, when you're having trouble, you're facing the giant of rearing a child. And that is a giant. And you take the advice from Benjamin Spock, no. you're going to have a problem. Now, that's not the pointy-eared guy on Star Trek, okay? In 1948, he wrote the book, Baby and Me. And he's the guy that told us that we should stop spanking our children. So when the Bible tells us to spank our children, that, that uh, e- uh, wicked is bound in the heart of the child and the rod of correction will drive it far away. The Bible talks about how the blueness, they'll not be hurt by the blueness of the wound. Let's talk about firing them up. I have three kids. The little one, she's never done anything wrong. Sydney, she's 16. She's in TSM right now. She is a perfect child, and if she's not, I don't want to know it. All right? Those other two, we beat them like pack mules. <laughs> the two older ones, they were terrible. And the girl, she may have been the worst of the two. Ashley, are you here tonight? She's probably working tonight. I hope she is. She'll watch it. She'll listen to this on her way to work the next when they put it on, and she'll be sold up at me for two or three days. Jeff knows he was sorry, so he won't be surprised by it at all. Do you know why? And honestly, and I can t- I can t- I can talk about this because I didn't have a lot to do with it. I was working a lot. I was you know I was gone a lot. But the reason that I have three really good kids. And the 16-year-old, she still has time running off the rails, so we're not going to talk about her. (laughs) We'll talk about these two older ones that are already married and they're on their own. Now if they mess up, it's not my fault. It's their fault. The reason that they were good kids, the reason that we could take them to a funeral, okay, and I could say, son, you sit down right there and don't you get up, was because their mother had no give in her. Zero. They, got, they were on a one-time program, one-tail program. They got told one time, and if they didn't do what they were told, it was a belt. My son talks about how up in his closet was a stack of those five-gallon paint sticks. You know the ones I'm talking about? And when she broke one, he said, Dad, it was crazy. She could be whipping me, and if she broke one, she could reach up there and pull another one out and never even miss a stroke. He said it was really impressive, and I was the one getting a whipping. Now, the reason that I, when you think about that, you don't take advice from the unwilling. You can't take advice and direction from a lost and dying world, from the humanistic viewpoint of the world, because they know nothing about spirituality. They know nothing about the Scripture. They know nothing about the Bible. They could care less about the Scripture because they don't have the Spirit living within them. So here's Saul, and he's wanting to give advice to David while he's sitting in the palace, and he's not even willing to get involved in the fight. He just wants to tell you how to do it. So don't take advice from the unwilling. 
Now, the last point is in verse 29. After David's brother fusses at him and gets on him about coming down there and tells him he's naughty and you just come down here because you want to see what was going on, David responds to him with this. He says, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? You know what the last thing is? Find a reason to fight. Sometimes you just got to find a reason to keep ducking and swinging. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your siblings. Maybe it's a small group that you're involved in. You want to quit. You don't want to come back. You want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. This stuff's just too hard. But for some reason, you keep coming back. Find a reason to keep ducking and swinging. And although whatever reason you use to get you by, sometimes I'm for, there's a better reason than all of those. David said, is there not a cause? You know what? For David, it wasn't about the king and giving him a lot of riches. It wasn't about the king giving him his daughter. She might not have been very pretty. That would have been bad if you go down and fight a nine-foot giant and the king gives you her daughter and she ain't much to look at, wouldn't it? <laughs> Wait a minute, king, can we talk about this? I mean, I appreciate the money, but you keep the daughter. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the daughter. It wasn't about the fame for David. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. And here's the reason why. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Can I tell you something tonight? This life that we live in, this struggle that we're in on a daily basis, the Bible calls it a war. The Bible says that we're soldiers and that we're to endure hardness. You know, Sunday preacher was talking to me, and he was, he was lighting up the prosperity preacher's pretty good Sunday. So if I do it a little bit, you can't get mad at me. I heard it Sunday from him. But these guys on TV, man, they just all the time, it's touchdowns and cheerleaders and giving Jesus a praise clap, and it's all going to work out. And, you know, it's, sometimes it doesn't all work out. It really doesn't. I mean, just do a little study. I challenge you, if you think it all works out, do a little study on all of the apostles and how they died. It was bad for every one of them. Paul got his head cut off. The guy that was writing that very letter to Timothy right there, not long after he wrote that, got his head cut off in a Roman dungeon. And he told Timothy, he said, you be tough. He said, stay strong. Endure hardness as a good soldier. Why? Because of the guy that made you a soldier. You see, we're in the battle because of what we talked about last Wednesday night. Because of that gospel. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been enlisted into this army. We've been given the job of reconciliation. The reason that we endure hardness as a good soldier, the cause, the reason to fight, is because we have a Savior. We have a God that loved us so much He gave His only begotten Son to pay our sin debt. So that's why you keep fighting. That's why you keep ducking and swinging. That's the cause for us tonight. The cause is because we have a Savior that loves us and cares about us. And no matter how tough the situation gets, 
you keep your eyes on Him and you don't get sidetracked with the ones that are not willing and you don't get discouraged by the ones that criticize and you have an understanding that, you know what, there's a process I've got to come through. I've got to work through some difficult things in my life. And you're humble in the process and realize, man, this bottom, it's a starting place, but I'm not going to stay here because God will exalt me. If you can remember those principles while you're going through this difficult time and be motivated by the fact that you have a Savior that loves you and cares about you and died for you, These are some principles, I think, that will help you to be able to face the individual giants that you have in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for your blessings and your goodness. I thank you for this great crowd.